cultures may have lots in common. Yet remember, two magnets with the same polarity do not stick together. They say that differences are dangerous, yet seven stripes on the same color will never make a rainbow. Don't be deceived by similarities, but don't focus too much on the differences. Devil is in the details. Same but different. Series aims to show what national cultures have in common, what makes them different, and how both the similarities and differences influence the way we do business. These are the need of having a structure hierarchy, competitiveness, and keeping your reputation and the reputation of other people, also known as safe face principle. Besides, nowadays we can observe a phenomenon caused by the one-child policy, the little emperor syndrome. It is believed that an obedient person cannot create disorder. And yet, management in India is not just about control and imposing what's right. The boss is responsible for subordinates' performance to a high extent. If a Chinese person is ambitious and competitive, they would rather dispute these features. Welcome to another episode of Same But Different podcast series. This time, culture enthusiasts Yulisa Bolotna and Christian Wural will share their observations, findings, and assumptions about India and China, the cultures that are still considered to be exotic in this part of the world. Welcome, ladies. And we will get our assumptions confirmed, debunked, and explained by Tatiana Hrinovetska, a culture consultant at SelfServe. First of all, we need to confess that we ourselves were surprised to find China and India within one group, which suggests that these cultures got much to share. What's more, personally, my impressions before I got to explore the Indian culture and after are totally different. Pista, and what did you think about China before you got to study their culture values? The first thing that came to my mind was that Chinese were copy makers, where in fact they are just flexible and know how to go with the flow. I wondered why anyone would prefer communism to democracy. While it's probably about hierarchy and willingness to have structure. And what were your assumptions about Indians? Well, Indians always seem to me to be not straightforward enough in their communication. You know, saying yes might not necessarily mean agreement. Another thing is that they usually do not disagree openly while being against the ideas presented, when in fact all they want in such situations is to save face of their colleague. And it just goes to show that the true understanding of a culture comes when we are curious and when we are willing to challenge stereotypes, when we want to look beyond emotional reactions and want to understand the intention behind behaviors. In our attempt to do so, we interviewed Indians and Chinese, studied their culture specifics, and asked ourselves what unites them, what makes them different, and singled out some characteristics that stand out. Interesting. What are they? Namely, these are the need of having a structure or hierarchy, competitiveness, and keeping your reputation and the reputation of other people, also known as save face principle. This episode revolves around the first two aspects, hierarchy and competitiveness. Let's see where they come from and how they show in your interactions with these cultures' representatives. 
cool. So let's get started. Praise to you. What did people mention most often when they were talking about their culture? Family. Definitely family. Most examples were related to family life and family relationships. Family indeed. I often hear that Chinese parents invest a lot of time and effort into raising their offspring. Grandparents may help them too. They want their kids to get a good education, find a great job, and have a bright and promising future. That's why they would often control their kids' lives. Besides, nowadays, we can observe a phenomenon caused by the one-child policy, the Little Emperor Syndrome. Little Emperor Syndrome. Wow. What's that? Is it like worshipping their only child? Well, that's close. It brings a lot of changes into their culture, household routines, upbringing, economy, and even workplace. Chinese economy is growing rapidly. The number of working women is increasing. This means that a lot of families have double income, which they spend on their precious little ones. They want their offspring to have the best things, the best education, a better life compared to the one they had as kids. But this also causes a huge burden on the children themselves, as they need to succeed and compete academically. So, does that mean that parents invest so much into their kids that they expect something in return? That's exactly how I see it. Parents provide whatever they can for their little ones, cater to their every single whim in order to help their offspring succeed. That might be seen as a long-term investment as well, since parents expect their children to support them when they retire. I get it. And if I'm older, it means I'm wiser. That's why I have the right to direct you, guide you in the choices you make. That's all about obedience as for me. Obedience, especially to parents, to superiors, is a prime virtue in Confucianism. It is believed that an obedient person cannot create disorder. And order is the means that can help such a huge nation survive and deal with hardships they may face, like lack of natural resources or natural disasters. At the same time, obedience is an act of reciprocity. Obedience is not something that happens by default. It's how children and subordinates pay back for the care they receive from their parents or superiors. This explains the effort Chinese parents put into making their kids successful in life. I have another example of it. Mothers might even arrange blind dates with their single daughters in order to find a proper candidate. Some people say that Chinese ladies and their parents only look for rich fiancés. But I think it's a pure misjudgment. What they are really looking for is stability and a means to have a decent life. We all want that, don't we? I bet we do. Your India, just like China, is also found among hierarchical cultures in different studies. Have you noticed any examples that would prove that? Yes, absolutely. And it also starts with the family. Indians may move thousand miles to live separately from their parents. But normally, they don't go through real separation. They cannot escape from daily calls where they need to kind of report on how they raise their kids, for example. And as soon as they visit their parents, their assertiveness doesn't show. They act rather submissively and let parents take over. It would probably mean saying no to their parents and senior family members, which is something they learn not to do from early childhood. Absolutely. Going against what family and society sees right 
is a rare case. For example, one of my Indian interviewees confessed that while he fell in love with a Muslim girl, he decided to give up on those relationships. Just he knew immediately what resistance he would need to overcome to marry her. He realized he wasn't ready for that sacrifice. That's a nice example. And it's also so interesting that you both give examples about family relations, because in fact, our families model and encourage behavior patterns that we resort to in other settings. So, do you see this value of a hierarchical structure and obedience reflect in business relations? Let's say between a manager and their subordinates. Yes, totally. Like in a family, Indian middle managers may be assertive, authoritative, and strong while in a position of power. But it changes when a more senior manager joins a conversation. Oh, you know, that's exactly what our engineers mention quite often. An Indian tech lead, for example, might sound direct and instructive in a meeting with a team of engineers. But if there is their manager in the call, they will stay silent until they are addressed and their style becomes softer and more indirect. And yet, management in India is not just about control and imposing what's right. A good manager is also someone who would message you late after a corporate party just to make sure you got home safe and the one who would ask you if your kids are okay first thing during the meeting, end of quote. Like in a close family, trust must be there if we want to reliable cooperation and it's earned through this kind of personal involvement. Besides, just like senior family members are seen as knowledgeable and wise by default, senior colleagues are respected for doing what you do better and for their overall experience. There is also an undeniable assumption that the boss knows best and thus subordinates sincerely want to hear boss' opinion first. And after all, what's the point of discussing it with you and committing to doing it if without my manager's approval, I'm not going to do anything? Yeah, and the boss is responsible for subordinates' performance to a high extent. That's why it is important to understand the reason behind what we see as micromanagement. Is it a manager making sure they can give timely support? Or is it a way to show, I care for you to show the result you committed to because my reputation as a manager depends on your results as well? It explains why subordinates may expect frequent check-ins which will go beyond just, is it going okay? But will be a mini-demo version if applicable. At the same time, what a lot of my interviews mentioned is that it's much appreciated if a subordinate approaches a manager not only with their problems, but the ideas of possible solutions too. Right. It's a sign that you care about your manager too. But how the idea is presented is of utmost importance. It's unlikely you'll get much result saying, I think we should change the approach. Hmm. Tanya, and what would you suggest instead then? Well, start with your observations first. For example, I have noticed that at the end of the month, we have discrepancies in the numbers. Then use a question to present your idea and engage your manager in the conversation, like, have you thought about running the tracking system in the middle of the period to understand the possible reason? Hmm, sounds really nice. Chinese managers, in turn, are seen as strict parents. Yet, a good Chinese manager should nurture the atmosphere of support within their teams. They care deeply about the associate's personal life, their family matters, 
ask personal questions, etc. At the same time, they expect respect, loyalty, subordination, and hard work in return. The decisions are always made at the top, and subordinates are not expected to take the initiative into their own hands. In fact, openly showing ambition and uh, initiative may seem aggressive to the Chinese. This is the reason why foreigners that come from openly competitive cultures may not be well-received in a Chinese team. Hmm, Christian, what's common attitude to so-called young talents? Top performers who are, let's say, in their 20s. Age matters a lot too. You are not expected to have a lot of achievements if you are too young. Don't outperform your manager. It seems that in China you are not expected to come with a problem and ideas for the solutions, unlike in India. First, you need to find out what your manager thinks. Someone who is older than you, which in China equals more experienced and wiser. Right. As this podcast series suggests, it's very similar yet quite different. I guess the explanation here could lie in how people from a group-oriented culture like China and those from a relatively individualist culture like India compete differently. Tanya, shall we consider India an individualistic culture? Yeah, I know. It might be surprising to hear that India is an individualist culture, but we should remember that all cultural aspects are relative, and it always depends on which other country we compare India with. In Asia, India stands out because of the high individualism index in comparison with others. But both China and India are competitive. So I am wondering now if you have some other examples to show how competition can manifest itself differently in these two cultures. How would the Chinese advance in their career? Well, if a Chinese person is ambitious and competitive, they would rather discrete these features. Instead, they would start building relationships with someone who can help them advance their career, establish a network. In other words, if I want to get promoted and obtain better career prospects, I try not to outdo my boss, but instead I try to establish trustworthy relationships with them. I'd take the blame for them if needed, let them take credit for my work, do favors, and favors are expected to be reciprocated in China. Chinese rely on hard work and network, relationships. The wider the network, the stronger their position becomes. The more they support their boss, the easier it might be for them to progress in their career. It's also worth mentioning that if a Chinese person wants to advance in their career much faster, they need to opt for Western universities instead, such as um, universities in the US or in the UK. Pursuing their masters in one of these would contribute greatly to their status and would make the career launch much easier. Oh, that's something we can often observe in hierarchical and group-oriented cultures. Where you studied might be as important or even more important than what your practical experience is. Competition quite often goes hand-in-hand with building a name for yourself. Yuri, what have you noticed in this regard in your analysis? Well, building a name for themselves is one of the core values and drivers for Indians. What can come across as boasting to some is more of a norm and even survival mechanism for Indians. They taught to go above and beyond to earn their place in the sun from early childhood. India, being a densely populated country, leaves young people with not much alternative. 
you need to be faster, smarter, more flexible, and less timid to stand out. How does that reflect in their work life? A curious thing about all Indians I've interviewed was that they admitted that when in a project meeting, instead of just saying, I've done this and I've done that, they explain in full detail how hard they work to do it. Because they truly expect public acknowledgement and they do want to be appreciated individually. But they don't see it as something wrong. Indians prefer to get acknowledgement for their personal efforts that contributed to the whole group. They like positive feedback to be specific and public. It's unlikely for them to say, we did it as a team, but rather to acknowledge individual efforts. There is an exception, though. Indians act differently when working with other teams on a product. Then they protect their team and they compete with the other team. So the acknowledgement of individual contribution is important inside the team. In, in the outside of the team context, team's performance and achievements is what they will compete for. That's something to keep in mind. Indians also confess they are shrewd when it comes to choosing their social connections. They mostly want to build good relationships with their direct manager and other decision makers. If you are a manager or a senior, you are expected to help junior members. But peers tend to be pretty competitive to an extent when they wouldn't share something new they've just learned with others. From what I picked, a Chinese person wouldn't be boasting openly of their achievements. This wouldn't be well-received. Praising in public is not expected as well. And it goes without saying that criticism should also be avoided by any means when dealing with Chinese. Right, so avoid criticism, never focus on what's bad, focus on how one can benefit from the change of the approach. These are the communication strategies that are worth remembering and practicing. There is an Indian saying that I often mention in my work. The eyes will not see what the mind does not want to, which means that when we open our mind, we are likely to see a bigger picture and will definitely understand people's behavior better. Christy Julep, thank you for sharing your findings and thoughts. I know it's just a tiny bit of what you managed to collect over the last year. Do you think we could spill some beans and let the listeners know that there will be more on these cultures? Gladly. In the upcoming episodes, we'll introduce our listeners to the intricacies of indirect communication and specifics of client-minded communication in China and India. So stay tuned. Thank you for having us. Do follow announcements not to miss a single episode of Same But Different. Talk to you soon again. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now.